1: Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
0: Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or a grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association, N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC.
1: This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-Blade Razor and Shave Gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR. R A Z O R.
2: Welcome to the RotoWire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Jake Letarski, joined today by John Litterine. If you're out there on Twitter, you can give John a follow at J O N L I T T E R I N E. You can follow me at JakeSki52. Today we're going to be making our fantasy picks for the biggest fights of UFC 208, an event that's going to result in an inaugural women's featherweight. Champion John, to get things going, I got to hand it to you. Had a good night in Houston, eight and four overall on those picks, and an excellent call on the Korean Zombie upset pick. How'd you know Ring rust wasn't going to be a factor there?
3: Well, you know, I obviously didn't, but um, you know, when Zombie was doing his mandatory military service for South, you know, his country of South Korea, um, because of some of the injuries he suffered in MMA in the past and you know his career in general, they gave him more of an office type job you know he wasn't on the front lines fighting or anything like that so he was able to train every day and all when you see most of these guys like all the time we talk about all the time Dominic Cruz missed over the years that was because he was injured And when you're injured obviously you can't train but the zombie was healthy for almost the entire time at three plus years that he was away so while he wasn't able to necessarily fight he was able to train every day like he normally was so I just thought that he would have less adapting to do than the average fighter who takes that much time off. But again, he, you know, that was, I think there's some, there was some luck to that finish because he's never been known as a guy with crazy insane power but you know he caught Bermudas with one really good punch
2: yeah yeah I mean and he was able to thwart off the early takedowns too that was always huge and I always said you know it's not like three years of military service you're gonna go soft or anything like that I know maybe it was more of a maybe it was more of a little bit of an office job but uh it'll, it'll be interesting to see where the UFC takes a guy uh like the Korean zombie from here but let's shift our focus to UFC 208 and we'll start right from the top John we're gonna have a women's featherweight championship fight in inaugural one the ufc finally made this weight class here but you know before we even talk about the two fighters that are in there the biggest thing is they're doing a championship without chris cyborg who kind of shot herself in the own foot by uh by failing that uh, usada test or getting flagged at least we'll still see how that plays out here but it just doesn't feel the same without cyborg
3: no it doesn't and regardless of what the ufc will ever say and they will never admit it data why would never say it the entire reason they created this division and this belt was because of her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when she's walking to the cage, and Joe Rogan and uh, previously Michael Oberg and now John Anik, you know, they say, "Oh, Chris Cyborg, she's the Invicta Heavyweight FC Featherweight Champion." No one cares.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no it just one... doesn't mean the same as a UFC champion.
3: It's not even close. The amount of um, the amount of UFC fans who watch invicta on a regular basis are extremely 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 small so and
2: if they were they were probably tuning in for somebody like cyborg
3: right and if they are watching invicta they know um considerably more than just the top fighters exactly so um you know this i this to me i don't like it if for no other reason than I don't like the idea of rewarding someone who's losing, and Holly Holm has lost two fights in a row. So mm-hmm. your reward for losing two fights in a row is you get a title shot. And I said it before; I say it all the time. I know that there are too many events these days that every single fight can make sense rankings-wise. They just they don't have enough. They just don't have enough fighters to cover the events to make that happen. But I would hope that at least for main events of pay-per-views. That you can do that, and this fight to me doesn't do that, and you know it's also in Brooklyn, so first time the UFC has been in Brooklyn, so while I certainly didn't expect the card of the caliber of the Madison Square Garden card, I thought it would be better than this.
2: Yeah, a little bit, but there's one thing for certain that's going to come out of this fight. I assume Cyborg is going to take the winner here of Holly Holm versus Jermaine Duran. Now, uh, as far as the two stack up, they measure out pretty evenly, both in terms of Odds and DraftKings salaries. Uh, Durandemi is eighty two hundred on DraftKings. Holm is eight thousand. Holmes just a plus one hundred and five dog. Last time I checked, Durandemi is minus one twenty five favorite. Uh, we seem to think, or at least the odds makers uh, from one of our resources believes that the fight could go to a decision. Odds of that happening are minus one thirty. But overall, how do you see the fight between these two women breaking down?
3: Um, this it, it's hard because. At least we've never seen either of these women fight at 145 pounds, mm-hmm. you know, in the UFC. So that makes it a little tricky. Um, Holly Holm never struck me; she never appeared to have problems making 135. So I, I don't know if the extra 10 pounds weight is all that big a deal for her. I think Durandemey is a bit more muscular, while Holm is more, you know, kind of lean muscle. Uh, I picked Durandemey. And the main reason I did is because other than her win over Ronda Rousey, which, you know, by the day, or at least by the Ronda's fights, looks more and more I don't want to use the word meaningless, but less impressive.
2: Like that was coming all along and Holmes was just the first person to cash in.
3: Yeah, that, that pretty that's that's a very good way to put it. Um Holly Holmes' been in five UFC fights. She won a split decision from Raquel Pennington in her first fight that many people, myself included, think she lost. She defeated Marion Renault in her second fight in a fight where neither woman really did anything over the course of the fight. Then you have the Rousey fight, and then her last two fights, Misha Tate and Valentina Shevchenko, she lost both of them. So I know she got, Holly Holm got a lot of publicity for the Rousey fight And obviously so um, partially because of how it finished and the highlight and Ronda getting, you know, KO'd, you know, out cold. But Holly Holm has been, at least to me, in my viewing, a below average or not. Maybe not. Maybe that's not the right word. But she certainly hasn't lived up to the reputation that she's seemingly developed over her time in the UFC. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know. I don't I mean, I know you would feel the same way. In that if either of these women, no matter who wins, have to face Chris Cyborg, I mean if Cyborg gets that USDA deal figured out and straightened out, we're both picking Cyborg in a second.
2: Exactly. It's, um, that would be a much more lopsided than a fight like this one here. Uh, one thing I do want to ask is the fight is uh, being billed as a striker versus striker matchup, essentially. And you mentioned in your preview that you wrote for our our website here that it could very well come down to who does something else a little bit better. Do you see any of these ladies maybe trying a takedown attempt just to see where it goes?
3: You know, they could. I don't... They're both, actually, they haven't had to do much as far as defending takedowns in the UFC careers. But they've both been fairly good at it. Holmes just over 77%. Durandamy is actually over 80% in terms of takedowns defended. So mm-hmm. they've been good in that area. Um, is an inch taller, two-inch reach advantage, three-inch reach advantage in the legs. And I think she has more power. Now, home might have more in terms of consistent combinations. But other than the Rousey fight – We've never really seen her, you know, land and, you know, consistently like that. And it doesn't get talked about, but she's 35 years old, which, Mm -hmm. and she got a late start to the sport. And in this sport, 35 years old is the back end of what you want to be doing. Mm -hmm. She'll be 36 in in October. So this is hard. I, I could certainly see this going the distance. And the unfortunate thing is, even though this is five rounds, if this does go the distance, I would guess that it's going to be rather unentertaining.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I mean they're billing it striker versus striker. So DraftKings wise, if it goes the distance, I think both of these women could rack up a decent points. And since the prices aren't off the charts, you there could be a case for using them in this fight. So I, I mean, I kind of like it from a DraftKings perspective, assuming that we can get enough significant strikes landed, maybe with a few knockdowns or something along those lines in there.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, in that sense, it would be good, but neither of these women really project as one of those heavy, you know, heavy hitter knockout hitters. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I, I understand that this is a title fight and I certainly know that the UFC is of the feeling that if they put a title fight on a card, that it makes the, you know what I mean? It makes the entire car better and whatever they want to say, but this fight doesn't do a ton for me. Mm-hmm. And if for no other reason, then whoever wins is going to be viewed as nothing more than a placeholder until Cyborg gets cleared to fight. Mm-hmm.
2: I absolutely do agree with that mentality I do, before we move on, I'm going to offer up my pick, and I'm actually going to take Holm in this one, this is one of my big, my upset picks, you know, three of the four of our of, of our wire MMA staff members all think it's Durandamay, so I'm definitely going against the grain a little bit here I just think that, okay, you look at Holmes' two loss, losses, Misha Tate she was beating Misha Tate handily until Misha kind of got that choke in at the end gutted it out, and then her other loss is definitely a respectable one, I mean, Valentina Shevchenko just took really good care of Juliana Payne, and she's going to be fighting for a Bantamweight title pretty soon here, so uh, the losses are respectable enough, and I just, when you look at the two fighters, camp's a big thing, I know you like to talk about camp, Holly Holm, I think Jackson Wink MMA's are going to get her ready, Duran I I heard some stuff about her maybe leaving AKA, American Kickboxing Academy. I don't know if that is, is how that exactly is shaking out. So there's the camp factor for me. And finally, the intangible thing is Holly is used to the spotlight. She's absolutely been there on the big stage before, and we haven't quite seen the same from Durandamy. So I think when I, I add up all the factors that I like to look at, I think home gets a few more tally marks on my end, but I'm not... You know, I'm not like overflowing with confidence with this upset pick. I just think that there's a, a pretty decent chance she can get there. Uh, but I definitely see where you guys are coming from by going to randomly. May. That's kind of uh, more of the chalk one.
3: Yeah, I, I just I don't think there's really that big of a, a difference either way, to be honest.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a, a close fight, and you know, maybe not the most exciting fight. I guess we'll wait and see. But who knows? Maybe these ladies will surprise us here. But the fight on this card that is really put on here to sell some pay-per-views is the co-main event and that's a middleweight matchup here between Anderson Silva and Derek Brunson anybody that's remotely heard of MMA or UFC could probably name Anderson Silva I mean he's 41 years old but he is a legend in the sport quite possibly the greatest of all time but he hasn't won in any of his last five fights that's four losses and one no contest here so he comes in as the underdog Silva's 7,900 Brunson's 8,300. As far as Vegas odds go, Brunson's minus 150 favorite. Silva's a plus 130 dog. And uh, we don't have the odds to finish here. Under one and a half rounds is plus 110. Silva by TKO is plus 175. Uh, So, you know, maybe we'll see those odds come out in the the next couple of days here. But basically, how do you see this one playing out, John?
3: You know, Anderson Silva is certainly... On the back end of his career, now this, like you said, was put on the card to help the the card was really struggling, and this was put on the card to help sell tickets. And you know, the casual fan doesn't know anything about Derek Brunson, so um, they were hoping Anderson's name uh, did that. Now, I think I picked Brunson. I didn't have, I didn't really hesitate when I made my decision. But it comes with a caveat. In Derek Brunson's last fight against Robert Whitaker, um, he looked terrific early on, had Whitaker hurt badly, mm-hmm. and he, he tried, came out swinging. Yep. And it ended up being his problem. He came out swinging, had randomly hurt... Oh, uh, excuse me. Had um, Whitaker hurt very, very badly, and looked very close to a finish on numerous occasions. But he punched himself out, and he tired himself out, and Robert Whitaker hits really, really hard. And... As soon as Brunson was gassed from everything that he tried to do, Whitaker just took over and just pounded him. So I expect Brunson to come out hot again and try to get the early jump on Anderson. Now, if he does the same thing and Anderson survives early and he's able to hang on, I could see Anderson maybe getting more offense in, in rounds two and three if it gets that far. Mm-hmm. But at Anderson's age and he certainly doesn't move like he used to, I'm just not entirely convinced that he can survive that first initial flurry.
2: Mm-hmm. I absolutely definitely understand those concerns, John. I did pick Anderson, though, and uh, I think a couple of – I think our staff, you know, if we, it's not a democracy. If we did it by vote, I think we, we'd we say Silva. But the reason for that being is because we watched that Brunson fight against Whitaker where he came out swinging so bad. And even at 41 years old, I still think Anderson Silva, it, his one of his biggest strengths has always been counter-striking, counter-punches, being patient. And I think he'll be able to outlast an initial flurry and then eventually start to pick things apart. But again, it comes with that caveat it's how is Brunson going to come out and approach this fight? I saw some, uh, some of the media day stuff going on today, how he was like, well, against Whitaker, I, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but against Whitaker, he wanted to come up and get this highlight real knockout. And he thought maybe if he did that, he'd be able to jump a little bit in the rankings and, and kind of cheat the system, get into that title conversation at the very least. But I think he'll be more likely because this is a seven versus eight. If you go by the UFC rankings, I think he's going to be more likely to be a little bit more calculated in this fight. I still got Silva in this, but I definitely understand why Brunson is the favorite.
3: You know, it just Anderson Silva Silva fight um, a little less than a year ago against Michael Bisping is what kind of had me change my tune about Anderson, or at least nowadays. And that's just because that was a fight that the old Anderson would have dominated. Um, Bisping doesn't have a ton of power. He gets by on grit, durability, you know, output and conditioning Mm -hmm. and Anderson four or five or, you know, even two or three, you know, even three years ago would make some, would eat someone like that for lunch. I
2: mean, he did kind of get Bisping with the flying knee. I know they didn't call the fight, but he had his, he had his window there where it was pretty close.
0: It was,
3: it was a close fight, but Anderson, not necessarily even in his prime, but just a step below his prime destroy someone like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not only did he not destroy him, but he lost. Exactly. So, he lost the tough
2: decision. But
3: there. then like you just said though, if Brunson didn't learn anything from the Whitaker fight, uh, you know, then that's on him.
2: Absolutely. Him and his camp and whatnot, but uh, I, I do see uh, exactly where you're coming from here. and I know we differ on the uh, picks for the first two fights here, but let's take a look at this middleweight bout between Jacare Souza and Tim Bosch, who I think we can both see eye to eye on this. Souza comes in as a massive favorite. He's 9,500 on on DraftKings compared to the Barbarian, who is 6,700, I think one of the cheaper fighters on the card. Vegas says Souza's a minus 500 favorite. Bosch, a plus 400 dog here the most likely outcome according to vegas says Sousa by submission minus 155 i mean we both i'm pretty sure we both got susan in this fight and we don't really see it being all that
3: close no this is terrible this is just i i know these and jacaray is 37 years old so mm-hmm. i know that he wants to stay active but this is this is bad
2: because he was supposed to fight Luke Rockhold, and yes. that that got canceled. Rockhold had to withdraw, not quite healthy yet, and uh, yeah. Rather than stay sidelined, because it looks like Yoel Romero is going to get the next shot here at Michael Bisping. Rather than stay sidelined, I guess he'll take another fight, and I can't blame him for doing that. But he really doesn't have a lot to gain from this.
3: He has nothing. He has absolutely nothing to gain from this, mm-hmm. and you know officially. Since, um, really over his entire career, Jacare lost his first professional fight in 2003 mm-hmm. and he has three losses since then, a 2008 loss to Gegard Musasi, a 2011 loss to Rockhold and a loss, um, in December, 2015 to Yom Romero via split decision Controversial one in a fight that, you know, Jacare won. I know Romero was given the decision, but Jacare won that fight and had he got the call, it would have changed the complexion of the middleweight division moving forward. Absolutely. So, I I guess what you said it, what you said is right, in the sense that the guy has to make a living, and if he wins easily, and he does it without sustaining any real injuries, um, you know, then it's fine. Um, it should. It doesn't. It's a fight that makes absolutely zero sense from a ranking standpoint or anything like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Bosch is far closer to retirement than he is to impacting the middleweight title picture. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, middleweight title picture. And but to Bosch's credit, uh, he does. He deserves some, him and his management team deserve some credit. Mm-hmm. They got him a fight that he doesn't deserve against uh, you know a top five guy who's on the verge of fighting for a title and if he lose, the whole world ex- expects him to get obliterated. So if he lose, who cares? You know, what difference does it make? No one thinks he's going to win anyway.
2: And And you never know. He's going to come out hunting for these big knockouts, I and mean, you know Jacare is going to be prepared for that, but you never know what happens if something like that lands. Uh, but kind of backtracking a bit, looking at this fight from a fantasy perspective, the real question is Souza comes with a $9,500 price tag, and I think we all pretty much agree he's as close to a lock as, as it'll get in this sport. Of course, you, know, you never know with a, with a fighter's chance here or, or a possibly lucky punch, but do you pay up for him on, on a DraftKings lineup knowing that it'll cost you Possibly another favorite or two in your six fighter lineup.
3: I would consider it for two reasons. One is what you just said, the discrepancy in talent. That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. But the second thing is I would consider it here because this is not a card where there are a whole lot of underdogs that I like. So it's going to be difficult to, at least for me, it would be difficult to look at the fights and say, Oh, well, you know, there are three or four or five underdogs I like, so I can, you know, take some of those guys and and pay up for a guy like this. There mm-hmm. aren't that many I like on this card. So, uh, he for such a high salary fighter at, you know, like you mentioned at 9500, I think that's normally we on here we don't really advocate putting guys of that salary in your lineup because if they don't get an early knockout or an early finish, mm-hmm. the rest of your lineup is pretty much shot. But he I certainly think he's better a better idea at 9500 than your average fighter who has a price tag that high.
2: Yeah, absolutely and just the converse of that if you did somehow think Boch had a fighter's chance then you could probably fit four favorites in there but I just don't know it's almost like throwing away a roster spot at this it, point.
3: It is. I there's no there's no what's the word I'm looking for statistical argument that could be made to think he's going to win. It's -hmm. it's just not there. Mm -hmm. Sure, anybody can beat anybody with a lucky punch. That can always happen. But there's no realistic reason to think he's going to win.
2: Absolutely. So we think the middleweight division is a little bit top heavy, which is why we result in a fight like this. But let's move on to the next fight in the light heavyweight division, which is probably one of the shallowest divisions in the entire UFC here. So we end up with a fight like Glover Teixeira against Jared Kanan... uh, How is that? Cananye? Uh Canoneer. there we go. Whoops, that was my bad. But uh yes, yeah, so you got Teixeira against Canoneer here, where Teixeira checks in is a pretty big favorite. Eighty seven hundred on drafts, Draft DraftKings, uh compared to Cannoneer who's just seventy five hundred. Um minus one eighty five for Teixeira here, pretty big Vegas favorite. Uh now against some of the top in the light heavyweight division, we're maybe not taking Glover here, but in this one he seems like a pretty safe pick.
3: Uh he does to me. And this is just, uh, as far as I can tell, another case of when the light heavyweight division is arguably the thinnest in the company, but this is another fight that makes absolutely zero sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Glover Teixeira is, might not be on the level of the Daniel Cormier's or the Anthony Johnson's or the John Joneses when he's not suspended, but, um. He's certainly one of the he's certainly a top five light heavyweight if you, you know if you want to say that. Mm-hmm. So he's a guy who challenged for a title against Jones. He's you know, he fought I know he got torched by Rumble in his last fight in thirteen seconds, but mm-hmm.
2: I mean Rumble's lot, been torching everybody been, that's not DC lately. And yeah, no, those people the, get to fight again soon, but
3: you there's know. no shame in that. Yeah, absolutely um, not. I, I again just like Jacare, Ray to shares in the same spot. A fight that makes no sense at all from a ranking standpoint so you better not only win but you better make sure that you don't get hurt
1: yeah
2: I mean if and, you want to stay in that top five you definitely need to uh, yeah you, get, you got to protect yourself there because uh like you said that that light heavyweight uh division there, I mean, you got DC and Johnson, and then I guess there's Gustafson if he comes back, and then Teixeira's right there, so uh, he wants to stay in that top five, make sure that a title shot is potentially within reach, and the only way to do that is to win in dominant fashion.
3: It is, and I just, I don't know what, I know they have to fill fights like we said, but I don't know what Jared Jared Kananir ever did to earn a fight like this. Mm Mm-hmm. He's yeah. had three fights in the UFC. He started out at heavyweight. He's now fighting at light heavyweight. He certainly looks better at 205 than he does at heavyweight, but he's never in his entire career anywhere mm-hmm. faced anyone remotely of to share his ability. So, again, could this be someone who steps up and co- you know gets a step up in competition and responds in a big way? Sure. Just like, you know, Bosch could win, but the odds of it happening are not good. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, Cannonier is five years younger, and I guess there's, he's only got ten professional fights, so I guess there's a little bit of the unknown factor, but, the MMA writers at Rotowire across the board. We all went with Glover. We kinda went with the comfortable pick that, that we know and feel pretty safe with because uh I mean outside the top two fights on this card, the main and co main are, are can be relatively close, but the next three, as you'll find here, are pretty uh they're pretty one way, at least in terms of the projections here. So speaking of those, we'll move to a lightweight bout between Dustin Poirier and Jim Miller. The DraftKings salaries... Have Poirier as a massive favorite here, ninety three hundred compared to just a sixty nine hundred dollars salary for Miller. Vegas agrees. Uh, you know, Porier is not quite as big of a favorite as as Jacare, but he's a uh, minus four fifty favorite, and Miller's a plus three sixty favorite. Um, you know, the most likely outcome is a knockout for Porier under two and a half rounds. That's just kind of me extrapolating from what I see across various prop bets here. Uh, you think the odds makers and DraftKings folks got this one right, John?
3: yeah uh yeah I certainly do. um Jim Miller, not all that long ago, less than a year ago, really, looked like he was finished, and to his credit, he's run off three straight wins since then, Takcanori Gomi, Joe Los Santiago Alves. none of them were pretty. um Miller's fights rarely rarely are um but it's we've I know we've said this before. It's the same old story for Miller. He has no power in his hands, none. Mm-hmm. So um, he's going to have serious problems with opponents who can pressure him on the feet. And um, say what you want about Poirier, and he's been inconsistent in his career. He you know, he dropped down to lightweight. He um, looked good in a win over Joe Duffy. He destroyed Bobby Green. And then he goes out in his last fight in September and gets beaten by Michael Johnson in a minute and 35 seconds. Um, so the inconsistency thing is there. But there's no doubt who the more explosive of the two men is, athletic-wise. Mm-hmm. There's, yeah. no doubt who, it, there's no doubt who hits harder, and there's no doubt who has more ways to win a fight, and that's, and that's the diamond. Um, mm-hmm. Miller is, you know, he is what he's always been. He's a, you know, he's a ground fighter, submission guy who has to grind his way to a win. And it can happen against lesser talent. But it's, it's going to be a struggle to win those kind of fights when you're forced to step up in competition. And um, despite Miller's three-fight winning streak, um, you know Dustin Poirier is considerably better than Takanori Gomi, Joe Lozano, and Tiago Alves.
2: Yeah, oh, most definitely here. So the real toss-up, John, I'll throw a toss-up at you here, is you're making your DraftKings lineup. Poirier's 9,300, uh, Souza's 9,500. Which one do you feel safer with putting in your lineup? Yeah.
3: That's really hard. Because
2: um, you can't I, use them both. You know, that's no. that's the tough part. You're going to have no. to make some some tough decisions because, you, well, I guess you technically could use them both. It's physically possible. But chances are you're going to have to put several big underdogs in, and you don't want to pick guys that are fighting against each other in a DraftKings lineup. That I will never advise using that strategy here. So you kind of got to pick one or the other. And
3: from, I would I would pick Jacare because I think Miller's more durable than Bosch. Mm-hmm. Jim Miller's only been stopped three times in his entire career, so he might not win. But yeah. I think he has a better chance of lasting longer. If that makes any sense,
2: yeah. For me, it comes down to like who's more likely to get the first round finish because you're hunting for that big DraftKings bonus. I think Souza could is more likely to get a submission in the first round than someone like uh, Poirier would would be to knock Jim Miller out. Yeah, in the first I, mean, round. I
3: could see I could see Jacory running across the cage, throwing both to the ground and ripping his arm off.
2: Yep, I mean, not quite a Francis ngannou Kimura takedown, but, yeah, you know, but like, something I, I, like that.
3: I, I, I literally think you could see Boj try and push forward. And Jacare like block one of his lazy shots and throw him to the ground and just submit him in like a minute.
2: Because mm-hmm. once that goes to the ground, I mean, Jacare is he's
3: but once once if that fight ends up on the ground, the fight's over.
2: Yeah, I mean, he he's right there with Damian Maya as, like the best grapplers, best jujitsu in the entire promotion, and any as weight strong class.
3: Strong as anyone in the division too. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Here, so yeah, I think we can both agree that it's uh it's a Jacare, Uh You're putting him in your lineup. At least he's going to go in in the great majority of mine here. But staying on the topic of DraftKings here. Does the card find or present any value plays to help you afford getting some of these favorites in your lineup?
3: You know, uh, and I know this kind of—we're uh, not supposed to say this. This is not a card where there are all that many underdogs that that I really love. Mm-hmm. Um, Which does make
2: lineup assembly pretty tough.
3: It does. And normally, uh, you know, on cards like this that have 11, 12, or 13 fights, I can come up with— at least three or four, you know, maybe even five or six underdogs where I go, well, you know, I, I think that guy has, you know, uh, at least, uh, you know, 50-50 kind of thing. I could – I had a really hard time with this fight. Um, I the, a couple of the underdogs I did take straight out to win. Nick Lentz was one. And if you, you know, you, if you gave me free money and you said bet on someone, I probably would have bet on um, Islam Makachev. But I took Lentz. I still don't think Lentz is a good DK play because even if he wins, it's going to be a boring wrestling match. Mm-hmm. So he might win, but that doesn't really help you all that much unless he racks up, you know, seven hundred takedowns mm-hmm. in fifteen minutes. So exactly. Well, I me- still advise that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other, the other guy um, was Jonathan uh, Justin Willis, excuse me, who was a last minute replacement from Marcin Tybura.
2: You got that and unknown factor.
3: I somebody actually tweeted me on Twitter not long ago. What do you know about Justin Willis? And I said I basically nothing but I picked him. And that's more because I don't think Typer is really any good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he came I actually mean, It's the,
2: tough to adjust your strategy for these last minute switches. You want to still stay on the card and get paid here, but you your camp was preparing for somebody else.
3: Yeah, I mean, you don't you don't have it, you know, you don't have a choice really when you're a guy like that who's entirely unknown. What we were talking about before, uh, you know, I don't think guys like just Sharon, and Jock so is a have to accept fights like they did. I'm sure part of the reason they did accept is because they're on the pay per view, and that's going to up their their payday. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, no doubt, the main card of a pay per view. Mm-hmm. But yeah. when you're when you're one of the you know mid low mid card guys who are still trying to make a name for themselves, you kind of have to take what they throw to you. Um So I took Willis. He's and the thing that I'm a little terrified at is I'm not really entirely convinced he's going to show up in shape. But oh, yeah.
2: So he, he, weigh-ins will be a good indication of that. If you tune in for the early weigh-ins, I know a lot of sites broadcast the real weigh-ins live. And then, of course, you'll see the FS1 weigh-ins later on in the afternoon. So weigh-ins might be a good a good indication of whether or not someone like Justin Willis will come in in shape, ready to go. I mean, he is – uh, yeah, it's a heavyweight he, fight. So
3: I've, It's a heavyweight fight, but I mean from everything I've seen, he's – fat's not the right word, but – He's going to be closer to 65 than Tybura is. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, look, it's not a card that has a lot of underdogs that I like. So, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I picked him because if I'm writing an article for everybody to read and I pick all the favorites, what good does that do? Exactly. You got oh. to
2: get, get a valid <laughs> yeah. lineup in here. I did want to mention that mathematically here, you get eight thousand three hundred thirty-three dollars per fighter. So, if you look at it from the odds, there are uh, there are two fighters that check in under that average price that are still favorites in the fight. One of those is Durandamy at 8200 so she might help make a little bit of wiggle room for you. And the other one is Jared Brooks, who's going up against Ian McCall. And both both Brooks and McCall are actually 8100 So whoever you like in that fight could help fill out your lineup. But the, I can see the reasoning behind those prices because both of those fights are really expected to go the distance or are likely to go the distance.
3: And I, you know, Jared Brooks um, is a guy who, making his UFC debut, and I thought, honestly, I thought that was a lit because, you know, we see more and more guys come into the UFC these days, and who we seemingly know nothing about, and you see guys fight really well, so if you notice on DraftKings, these unknown guys are getting a bit more of a higher salary than they used to, because they're just not getting run over, like, a lot of guys used to, you know, a lot of guys used just get overwhelmed when they came in.
2: Mm-hmm. But the Ian big McCall, example is Lando Venata that I like to think of. He put Tony he, Ferguson he, but, on the ropes like early yeah. in that fight.
3: But I mean, I know he's had problem getting fights for uh, really ridiculous numbers of reasons, his health, his opponent's health. But Ian McCall's is really, really good. Mm-hmm. Like easy top 10, almost top five flyweight good.
2: Yeah, I know. It was either people way missing weight, or or, or illness, or personal he matters. He's had a he's had a rough 2016 as far as stuff. cancellations go.
3: He's really good though, like mm-hmm. legitimate. So I that for a guy who's never made, fought in the company, uh, that is kind of strange to me. So, um, but again, like you said, odds wise for prop bets, smaller guys, not a ton of power either way. Good chance goes the distance, makes it tough. Yeah, absolutely. You're almost so. better off if you don't know what to do. You're almost like, and you're undecided. You're almost better off taking and taking uh, putting heavyweight in your lineup. If for no other reason, because they hit so hard that the fight will probably end early one way or another. Mm
2: -hmm. Exactly. We didn't have all the odds to finish ready to go before this show. But if you look at a site like bestfightodds.com, that's my tiebreaker. If I need somebody to fill up the lineup and I'm choosing between two or three fighters, just look for odds to finish. See what fight can end early. Maybe chase those bonuses here. But fantasy stuff aside, John, um, I, I know the card is a little bit underwhelming on a whole, but what are the fights that you're most excited to see?
3: I want to see the Brunson silver fight because mm-hmm. if silver gets overwhelmed I'm curious what he does
2: yeah to see how he reacts exactly I
3: know he has I know he's not real it was a long time ago time wise he signed whatever the heck he had did it. it was like an eight fight fight deal or a ten something like that I whatever it was there's definitely a bunch of fights left on the deal. Because he just hasn't fought, you know, between the suspension and everything, he mm-hmm. hasn't fought as often as you know people would have imagined. So I don't really know what he's going to do. Like, do you, does he keep pretend pretending that he can still make another run and fight decent guys? Does he kind of fall more back into like a gatekeeper status and mm-hmm. you know stay with the company, but? fight older guys who really aren't title threats anymore and just try and draw, you know, kind of like it's a bit, you know, not a direct example, but kind of like Bellator does with their guys, like, mm-hmm. you know, like the son and Ortiz, you know, they're not top five guys, and yeah. top guys in the world anymore, but they do numbers and ratings. So they put them against each other kind of deal.
2: I like, the, I like so, the gatekeeper idea just because someone that he, they could maybe use his name to, to sell fights and give some well, younger the, guys the doing uh, here. opportunities. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Doing so, I mean, if Brunson gets a highlight real knockout of a UFC legend, then all of a sudden he does sneak his way into the conversation for a title. There's a couple guys in line first, but I, I see what they're doing here.
3: It's you know, and this, yeah. And I I forget who it is, but we were talking about this not all that long not all that long ago, uh, some fight, and we said, Oh, uh, it was the um Yair Rodriguez, BJ DJ Penn. BJ
2: Penn, fight. yep. Yeah, we were talking basically, about how, Rodriguez yeah. needed a highlight real knockout, and he got one against the legend.
3: It was ex- it, it was exactly what we thought would happen. Rodriguez destroyed him, and now every time you hear Yair Rodriguez fight, when they build him up on everything, they're going to say knock out BJ Penn.
2: Yeah, exactly. Just you know, they're going to forget about what year it was or when the last time Penn was in the octagon and that was a bad. Uh, Yeah, I'm still pulling for Silva. I mean, this is the one. This is the uh fight that I put down as my most excited to see here. I just want to see where he's at. Um and then as far as the prelims go, we did t- touch on this fight earlier. I-, I want to see Uncle Creepy again because like we mentioned, he's a good fighter. Uncle Creepy meaning Ian McCall, one of the better nicknames I think, but uh um actually as far as best nicknames go, uh, I I'm a big fan of the Tex Executioner, but anyway, that's besides the point. Uh, Uncle Creepy Ian McCall uh, that that should be a good one because I've I've been excited to see him again for a while but uh, runner bad breaks so there are good fights to watch on this card I know we kind of dog it as a whole but there are a couple ones that are definitely worth tuning in for.
3: No, th- I mean there are there are good entertaining fights on the card. Mm-hmm. It's just when you look up and down the card, you'd probably say the problem is it has a title fight and it has Silva on it, which immediately means it's not going to be it's going to cost money. That's just how it goes. At least yeah.
2: now. Yeah, for sure. Well, we'll get a little bit, a uh, little, little bit, maybe some more high quality fights. Uh, well, definitely March fourth, we got UFC 209 because we got the Wonderboy Woodley rematch, as well as we get to see Habib fight Tony Ferguson. Well, for,
3: yeah, well, most fights right there are worth your money.
2: Yeah, exactly. So we'll be back with you guys for UFC 209 to break down that, and I'm I'm excited to see how they fill out the rest of their card there but uh but once again guys we're gonna wrap this up uh thanks again for listening to the Road to Wire mixed martial arts podcast again you got fantasy mma questions general mma questions you can tweet us you can get at john at john littering uh you can follow me at jakeski 52 and like i said we'll be back uh, prior to ufc 209 uh thanks again for joining me john and uh, enjoy the card
3: you got it talk to you soon
1: This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's five-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R.